But today, again, we're going to be picking up our study in Acts chapter 13. And uh, the past couple weeks, we've gotten through a whole chapter in a day, and that's not going to happen this morning. (laughs) Um, But the title of today's message is uh, Now Separate. Now Separate. Or you could pronounce it differently and say, Now Separate. (laughs) Now Separate, or Now Separate. but last time we looked at royal persecution. We saw that uh, Herod, King Herod of the area, began persecuting the church and uh, killing the church. Uh, James and he arrested Peter. Um, Peter was in prison. Uh, we saw that the, the church began to pray for Peter to have him released from prison. And then God showed up in amazing ways, had an angel, and performed the ultimate prison break with Peter and brought him out. And then when Peter showed up at the house, they didn't really believe it. <laughs> at first, they thought the little girl answered the door, uh, didn't know what she was seeing or hearing. Uh, but we saw that in the beginning, Herod was people-pleasing. He tried to please the people. And at the end, they, the people praised Herod, and he accepted it. And he ended up being struck down by God for that in a pretty gross way. Uh, but at the very end, we, la- we read the last verse, and we're going to read it again today, uh, verse 25 of, of chapter 12. We saw Barnabas, uh, Saul, and John Mark set out again. Um, uh, they come back into the picture here, and we're going to mainly focus on Paul's ministry uh, for the rest of the book of Acts here. Um, but this time, we're going to see directions from God. The, mis- the first missionary journey of Paul begins. They're going to bump into a false prophet. He's going to have some real and true consequences in his life. And then uh, we're going to see belief and astonishment and how they work together. But a couple of questions as we get into the study, really, what sets you apart? What sets you apart? You know, at work, maybe you have a resume and you try and put the things that set you apart on there. The things, you know, if you're a computer person like me, you put the apps that you program, the languages that you write, uh, you know, maybe some certain experience that you had. Or if you have an art portfolio, you put things that you're most proud of in there to set you apart and show your skills. Um, Maybe it's your education, or maybe it's places you've worked. Um, uh, but what sets you apart there? You know, we've been hiring a bunch of people at work lately. Uh, we've taken on a, a couple of new clients and had to begin to hire. Some other people have moved on to other things, and a uh, lady's stepping out uh, for a few months while she has uh, her baby. So we've been looking for people to replace, and apparently we had a bunch of interviews last week. And uh, one of the, the ladies who was interviewing someone uh, was talking about the person after the interview, you know, like, come on, just show some personality. Like, I guess the person was so nervous or so caught up or so uh, that there was no personality coming out of. And, you know, probably his resume was probably good, but because there was no personality attached to it, uh, they're really just, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to get the job, uh, unfortunately for him. But uh, in society, what sets us apart? Is it our possessions? Um, is it uh, our clothing? Is it where we live? Is it even more uh, deeper than that? Is it our attitudes and beliefs? And, you know, this idea of being green. You know, I saw this car the other day with bumper stickers all over the back. Be green, be green, be green, you know. Okay, whatever. But, you know, they were very excited about it and they felt it sets them apart. Or maybe, you know, you're that guy with the, the hybrid car and you feel like it sets you apart because you use less gasoline than everyone else. And, and I won't get into the whole logical debate behind that. But, Really, is there something that you find that you attach yourself to that sets you apart or even gives you a direction for your life, uh, a worldview per se, that kind of says, well, this is really the direction that my life is going in and this is what sets me apart from someone else. Um, You know, maybe you've heard uh, the saying, you know, what makes you so special? Like someone comes against you and they're like, well, what makes you so special? 
or maybe in a good way. Well, what makes you so special for this position? Or we tell our kids all the time that they're special and that God made them special. Um, but I guess today, I hope the attitude that we take away is not a holier-than-thou attitude, that as we get into the study, that when we see that when God does begin to set us apart, whether it's salvation or whether it's a call or whether it's anything along those lines of a direction for our life, that it's not because we're so special. <laughs> oh, God had to use you because you're so special, but it's because He's so special and He loves us. And the truth is, if we're honest with ourselves and what the Gospel teaches us, is that apart from God, because of our sin, we are anything but special. Um, yeah, we are, you know, the Israelites are the apple in God's eye, and God loves us as his children, and, and we are special to God. Don't get me wrong as some negative knockdown on yourself, but really, the reason why God has called us is because God is good, not because we bring anything to the table that he didn't have already. Um, but in reality, back to a little practicality here, who ultimately calls the shots in our lives? Is it a debt collector? Maybe you've got mountains and mountains of debt, and so your life has to be built around paying this debt off. Um, and again, there's good, there's good debt and there's bad debt. Um, you know, I was out uh, doing some different shopping at errands yesterday, and they kept offering me store credit cards, get 30% off. I'm like, I'm, I'm fine paying the extra 30%. I don't need another credit card. I have a couple. I don't, you know, I don't need more credit. <laughs> you know, I don't need another credit check out there. It's like, um, you know, I... Again, is that calling the shots in your life? Maybe it's your boss. Your boss is so involved in your life, your phone's on 24-7, you get those phone calls all the time. You know, I have a good friend who manages a lab at a, a ref, uh, it's not a refinery, but uh, they deal with uh, metals and things. And, uh, you know, he's got his phone on all the time, and he doesn't get calls all the time, but he gets calls over the weekend and at night and in the morning sometimes because he's the manager. And I go, I don't know how you do it, bro. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't live knowing that at any moment I could get a text from work, you know. <laughs> Thankfully, at the end of the day, at the end of the week, unless there's some emergency, I don't have to think about work again until the morning. You know, we were at the meeting. Uh, we have a weekly status meeting every Monday, and we were talking about how, you know, like, it was the morning or a Sunday, and we thought about going back to work and start thinking about a project and had to say, no, I'm not thinking about this right now. Uh, but really, uh, maybe in a more personal level, is it your spouse who drives you? Is it your spouse who calls the shots in your life, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing? You know, I would probably think it's a good thing that I have a spouse that can help call the shots and say, you know, that shirt probably needs to be ironed, <laughs> you know, instead of doing the single guy ironing where I throw it in the dryer or whatever. Um, because my wife is very uh, gracious to bless me with those things. But maybe you don't have a spouse, or maybe you have a spouse and they're overbearing, or they really call every shot in your life, or, or maybe you don't and you want to get married, and that's really kind of been the driving force in, in your life. Um, but is it God? Is it God? You know, again, that whole Sunday school answer, what did you learn in church today? Jesus. Well, of course you learned that. You know, our, our answer as believers might be that off the cuff, yeah, God calls the shots in our lives, but I think as we begin to, to get into this message and, and see what God's doing here by the Spirit, you know, maybe we should consider, is it really God who is calling the shots in our lives? You know, I think this is not something to ask yourself once in your life, but I think it's something that we always need to have a checkup, you know. Man, are you calling the shots even in my day today, Lord? You know, when we get up in the morning, even if it's 10 seconds in prayer, is it, God, are you, are you guiding me this day? You know, who gives the supreme direction on everything? You know, and I think that it should be God. It should be God. And as believers here together, I think we all would recognize that, that it should be God who, who directs our lives. I, I don't think that it really needs any explanation. Well, why should it be God? Well, what right does he have to say in my life? I think if God is who he says he is, and we, who rather, we believe 
that he says he is, that we might, you know, if we were asked about who God is and his, he created the universe, he died for us on the cross, you know, these doctrinal points, you know, why do we ever get mixed up and get in the way and say, well, no, God, you don't have the right to do this in my life. Um, and I'm, this is just as much as for, for me as anyone else, but I think that if we really believe what we believe about God, I think the direction of our life is going to get uh, altered drastically in, in a good way, in a very good way. But God, again, this morning, I ask that you would just bless our time in the Word, that God, you would give us direction, that Lord, you would forgive us where we've been uh, trying to call the shots in our own lives. And God, I ask that you would just give us guidance by your Spirit and that... Uh, God, you would help us to go forward in you, whether we stay at the same place, the same place we live, the same job, the same relationships for the rest of our life. But God, we would know that they would be directed by you, that the places that we go and we step would be because uh, you've called us to go there. And God, we ask this uh, for your name, not that we might receive glory, but that God, you would give everything you do in Jesus name. Amen. So let's start off in Acts chapter 12, verse 25, and we'll read through verse 3 in chapter 13. It says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, and they sent them away. And we'll stop there for right now. We see that again, Barnabas, Saul, and John Mark. Uh, Barnabas is mentioned first here. Maybe Saul really wasn't at the helm yet. Uh, you know, maybe Barnabas had been walking with the Lord, and Saul was still kind of uh, uh, biding his time before the Lord had uh, plucked him out. But John Mark was with him. Again, we'll see later that this is someone who causes a split between these two guys, not directly, more indirectly, as opposed to how they react to something that happens with him. Uh, but we'll see even later that these things get patched up and they got patched up for the better. Uh, but I think that this really kind of speaks to the importance of who we do life and ministry with. Who are the people that we're willing to put our hands to the plow, so to speak, with the ministry? Who are the people that we want to go and spend time with and have fun with and truly fellowship with? And I think that there really, when you get down to it, isn't a difference. The people we do real life and real ministry with. That's not to say that you're not going to have friends that don't go to the same church as you. You're not going to have friends at work who don't even go to church. Or you're not going to have friends, uh, you know, who aren't involved in the same things with you. But what I've found, at least through experience and through observation over time, is that the people that I've been the closest with, the people that I've had the deepest connections with, are not only the people that, um, uh, you know, I've had things in common with, so to speak, but really the most thing we have in common was our direction with the Lord, even if it was just for a season. You know, there's guys that I've lived with for a few years, and, you know, yeah, we still talk, but, you know, we have a, a certain bond, but we're not as close as, um, you know, some other people that I've been friends with. You know, even a guy that I lived with for only a couple months, we did youth ministry for years. We went on mission trips together for years. We did, a, a, you know, a, other things together that really have given us this bond that, man, we'd get up and we'd go do this together in the Lord, and it was just something powerful, even if it was only once or twice or, or a couple times. And I hope my battery doesn't die on this thing, <laughs> but I have other batteries. If it does, then online you're very lucky, Mom. <laughs> but really, that's important, that the people that we live with and do life with, you know, the people we have the closest bonds with, that they have the same direction uh, in life that we do. And not necessarily even that we consciously pick this out, but as we go about serving the Lord, we find that he brings people um, alongside us. Um, 
We see that they go to the church in Antioch. Um, I, I was looking at a map of Turkey yesterday, and, you know, Turkey's kind of this, it's like a slab of meat there. And then at the bottom, it's kind of got this peninsula that sticks out. And I kind of think of this area as like the Florida of Turkey. Kind of look like Florida, just kind of attached on the bottom of Turkey there. You know, if you have like a speech bubble, and Turkey's the bubble, and the little point arrow is, is where they are right now. Um, it's the southern part. It's near the coast uh, of the Mediterranean. But we see here that there's prophets and there's teachers. Uh, a prophet, again, you know, is one who's moved by the Spirit of God. They've received inspiration and they share that with the body. Uh, it can be about concerning future events, um, uh, but also in relating to salvation and the kingdom of God and even just expounding the word of God uh, specifically to us. Uh, teachers, one who teaches concerning the things of God, really the duties of man and the things of God. That's, that's really what a teacher does. The teacher says, these are the things of God, and these are our duties based on the things of God. Uh, you can think of even the Ten Commandments, the law of God. Well, what was that? The first four were the things dealing with God, and six through ten were the things dealing with, with man, the duties of man to man. And we think of even the law and the prophets. You know how in the Old Testament um, you have the law, you have the Mosaic law, but then you also have the books of the prophets. And you see that these two uh, groups of scriptures work together in harmony. We have God's law, but we have God's law applied to people's lives and applied to a nation Israel. And even speaking of the Messiah to come and the kingdom to come. And how these two gifts really do work together in conjunction for the edifying of the church. Um, but it is important that both our doctrine be biblically correct and correctly taught. You know, our, our biblical doctrine needs to be correct. As we go through the Bible and we say, well, this is what we believe, this is what we believe, it should be matched up to what the Bible says. As we expound the Scriptures, as we teach the Scriptures, as we learn the Scriptures, that it would be, this is what the Bible is actually teaching here. And not twisting it and not making it our own and not putting our own spin on it you know uh, granted you know in teaching there's illustrations and there's ways to make it applicable to our lives but when it comes down to the core doctrine what does the bible say and when the bible says it what does the bible mean but also that it needs to be in a sense like correctly taught and correctly applied to our lives that yeah maybe we believe the scripture for what it says but how are we applying that to our lives case in point something like um you know god is love god wouldn't judge anybody well if you keep reading the scriptures, you see that, yeah, God, does, God doesn't really judge anyone. Jesus said that your sins judge you. God brought his judgment on his son, Jesus, and people who reject Jesus bring judgment upon themselves. It's not something that God wants anybody to experience his judgment. But when his judgment does come, if we're not sheltered by the blood of the Lamb, like the Israelites who put the blood on the doorpost, there's going to be consequences there. And the only people we can blame for the consequences in our life are ourselves, are ourselves. Um, but it, again, it is, it is God's judgment who comes on earth, but he does not want us to experience it. But in that, there needs to be a fresh word. There needs to be a fresh word and inspiration of God, you know, because we can go through a Bible teaching and it can be really dry. And sometimes it has to be really dry. You know, you go through some of these laws about you know, twisting the head off a pigeon and it has to be four acres long and this tall and, you know, it gets kind of dry. But even in that, there's, there should be a fresh word uh, of God. You know, our theology needs to be correct, but it also needs to have a life and a breath uh, within it. You know, a word spoken into our lives by the Holy Spirit. You know, I think of, um, uh, before I get to that, Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That God's word is able with these doctrines, even when you're reading Leviticus, to be able to pick apart your life and get right down to the heart of an issue. And you, as you're reading some scripture that may not even make sense to you, as you begin to read it, God will begin to, to poke and to prod and begin to reveal things in you, good or bad. Um, and that's important. That's very important. Um, you know, we see certain circles of the church who are very caught up in doctrine, and their doctrine is very correct, but it's very dry, and it's very lifeless. And then we see other parts of the church that their doctrine, well, they don't really pay too much attention to it, and they have a lot of life and a lot of movement and a lot of action, but not all of it is doctrinally correct. And I think that, you know, what I love about the Calvary movement is that, for the most part, it has a good balance of these, where it has a lot of good doctrine, and has a lot of good word of God and passion, but they're mixed together and they're healthy and they're in, uh, in conjunction there the way it should be. But when it comes to our time in the word of God, uh, maybe you've heard uh, rhema and logos, you know, where we have logos, which is uh, the Greek word, and it's a specific written word of God, where you read the Bible, it is what it is, it's the logo. It, what you see is what you get with the word of God. But then there's this rhema word, and that's really the, the breathed life of God into you, where as you're reading the Bible, what is this word specifically for me? I'm sure there's a better doctrinal teaching on these and a better explanation of the words, but um, really it's, you know, you get the logos and it says, do not steal. Simply that means do not steal. But you get the rhema of God, and maybe you've been praying about a job decision. Maybe you've been praying about getting a new job or doing this or doing that, and God goes, that thing that you want to do is stealing. You know, you just read the Ten Commandments and it says, thou shalt not steal. And God points out something in your life that you never really realized was stealing until you got to that point. You know, that's the rhema of God where he takes this logos and it's directly to you. Or maybe you're praying about something and a word of God or a scripture comes to you. Or um, you're reading and it just sticks out and this is what's next in your life. That's also uh, rhema. It's that specific breathe life uh, to you. And you could probably take it further than that. But I think at an optimal level, that's, that's where we're at. But Ephesians 4 talks about, I think Gus maybe even shared it last week, where he gives some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And the point of all these gifts in the church is not that these people would be magnified and given a pat on the back and a name tag, but that the body itself would be grown and knit up, that the body itself would begin to go out and do the ministry, that these gifts come together to what? Build up the body, that the body might do the ministry. And we see that going on here in Acts um, really, that there's multiple guys here, that there's multiple roles, there's prophets and teachers, and there's a bunch of them at this church here um, in Turkey. But we also see the possibility that there's multiple gifts in the same people, that some of these guys are pastors and teachers, and some of these guys are prophets and pastors. You know, these gifts sometimes work in conjunction where, yeah, you may be a pastor, but you also may be a prophet. You know, I know a, a pastor friend who's like, everything. He's like evangelist. He's a problem. I'm like, oh, you can do all the evangelism, bro. I'll tag along once in a while. But, you know, he really has the gift of evangelism. Um, but he also has the gift of pastor teaching. But I believe he's also got a gift of prophecy going on. Um, but I think of uh, being uh, in a church before where we were pastoring with multiple pastors at certain times where we had a senior pastor, we had his assistant pastor, we had associate pastors, we had a worship pastor, a youth pastor, a children's pastor, a college pastor. And the idea was not that we, you know, put these resumes, you know, this job posting out to get resumes of guys, but that as God was blessing the ministry and growing the ministry and people were growing up in the Lord, that there needed to be a pastor over each of these areas to be able to effectively lead the church. And we had deacons and elders too that you know, handle these things. 
but how, uh, how awesome it is when, um, uh, you know, God provides for his people in this way that, you know, a lot of times we just look to the quote unquote senior pastor, but the associate pastor, the children's pastor, sometimes even the janitor of the church is just as qualified to answer the questions that people have. But we, again, we put this, uh, uh, expectation on people that only only a senior pastor has a word from God for me. Well, you know, sometimes we need to be open to uh, the other guys as well. We see that as a model in Scripture too. Moses was leading everybody; he was getting burned out, and God said, "Hey, put some people over tens, hundreds, thousands, and and they'll answer questions and delegate it." But um, but we see that that there were these guys here, and they were a part of the church, and they were ministering and just spending time with God. We saw that this one guy, Menean, was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. It's not the same Herod as in the last chapter. This was uh, the same Herod who beheaded John the Baptist and was over one of Jesus' trials in, in Luke 23. Uh, but really, who were we brought up with? Were we brought up with any King Herods that, you know, uh, sometimes I watch a movie or I'm watching a commercial and I half expect to see someone I went to high school with, you know, on TV, you know. It's kind of funny. I wonder where some of these people are sometimes. Um, and if I'd really watched the movie, if it was certain people, you know. Um, but who were we brought up with physically and spiritually? Where are they now, and where are you now? If you look back to the people you went to grade school with to now, where are they, and, and where are you? What directions have your lives gone in? Uh, you know, Herod went one way, and this guy Minian went a totally different way. It was because God was in Minian's life, and Minian was uh, devoted to him. Uh, you know, I think of Instagram, Facebook, reunions, uh, emails, you know, over Thanksgiving, we were up in New Jersey and I was showing Ashley our, my old stomping grounds and this is where I live, this is where I used to work, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, she enjoyed it, I guess. <laughs> uh, but I think about some of the guys who, when I first got saved, I was hanging out with or I got saved around the time I got saved or while we were in church. And, you know, some of these guys now are pastors. Some of these guys now are mystery, mission, excuse me, missionaries. Some of these girls are missionaries. Some are worship leaders, you know, I know guys are worship leaders at churches, and a girl is a worship leader in California now. Um, uh, some guys I, I, and girls I know are very broken now, are not where they used to be. Some are, you know, I, I don't know that I would, I would say lost, but not necessarily in the worldly sense. Um, and it's heartbreaking, you know, it's like, to get something along one or another happens in our lives, or we decide to make a decision, and then we get sidetracked, or we get on path and you know if you do get sidetracked if there's ever a time when you do get derailed know that God is faithful to get you back on that track but the connections around us matter they matter you know the Bible talks about no man's an island unto himself and that you know a bad company corrupts good morals and all these things but on, a, on another level I think they matter because God puts us in people's lives for a reason you know, who knows if this guy Menean had an opportunity at one point? Who knows? You know, Jesus appeared before Herod. So God was giving Herod plenty of opportunities, and sometimes we are those opportunities in people's lives. Maybe you bump into an old friend and, you, and they ask, hey, how you doing? And you share with them. You know, my wife uh, used to babysit these girls, and they moved to Florida years ago, I think before we got married or around the time. Uh, it's, it's all blur, but uh, they were coming back up for Thanksgiving, and they stopped by and visited her, uh, like, the Monday before Thanksgiving on their way uh, upstate. And uh, it was just, Ashley said they had just had this awesome time to minister to them. And uh, the, the mother of the daughter was uh, just very open to the gospel. And just, it was just an awesome opportunity because, hey, we knew each other before. We haven't seen each other in a while. Something amazing and miraculous has happened. And again, we have Christmas coming. Maybe there's opportunities for that. Uh, you know, and again, sometimes they're, they're not all the good 
situations, we think of Joseph, who had a lot of uh, things going on in his life that he didn't understand why they were happening until the very end. And now he is uh, second in command and able to save his family. But it says in verse 2, who we've gotten really far in 23 minutes, that they've ministered to the Lord and fasted. And I love that saying, that they ministered to the Lord. I love that, because it, it's a totally different picture, I think, sometimes than what we think of the Christian life. It's Christian life doing and serving and this and that, and go to church and go to work, and I have to evangelize, I have to read my Bible, whatever it is. But that's not it. It's, it's really, it's ministering to God. And what were they doing? They were praying and fasting and just spending time with God. You know, Luke 10, 38 through 42 Excuse me, I'm sure you're familiar with this. Uh, it says that now it happened as they went that he entered, and that's Jesus, a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But only one thing is needed, excuse me, one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. You know, we see that true ministry is just sitting before God. Ministry unto the Lord, the thing that the Lord loves most, is when we just slow down and stop. Even if it's for a minute or in the car at a traffic light or at night, you know, you just turn off the TV and spend a few minutes with him or in the morning. He loves that. Um, that's unto him. And it's not even unto each other so to speak, necessarily. I mean, that tends to be an outflow of that. Um, or the work of the Lord to go around, you know, I have to go and mop up the church, or I have to go and feed the homeless today, but I don't have time to spend with the Lord. That's, you know, that's not always the best thing. Uh, it says that Martha was distracted with doing things. It says that Martha was worried and troubled about many things. And what that says is that Mary wasn't. She wasn't distracted, and she wasn't troubled. And I find that in my own life, when I get distracted, when I get troubled, when I get worried, because I haven't simply slowed down and just given those things to the Lord. And, th and that's the one thing that's necessary. A lot of times we're worried because we feel like we have a hundred things that are necessary to do and get done and are pressuring us. But Jesus says there's only one thing that's important. Spending time with him. Spending time with him. And it's important that, not that we never go to work or don't pay our bills. I'm not going to pay my bills today. I'm going to go <laughs> read my Bible. Yeah, that's awesome. Great. But you got to pay your bills too. So, you know, there's always a balance. Um, uh, but the one thing that's really needed is that we give ourselves to Jesus no matter what's going on around us. And that's what these guys were doing here. They were giving themselves to the Lord. And you know, I can't guarantee that the things that trouble you are going to go away. I can't guarantee that at all. And a lot of people in this world, even in Christianity, will guarantee that. You'll be healthy, wealthy, wise, sick, free. No, the Bible doesn't teach that. Uh, what, what I can guarantee you is that your worry and your trouble will be taken away. If you do this, one thing, spend time with Jesus. It may take a couple hours. It may take every day. It may take every time you get worried to go back and spend time with Jesus. Um, you know, maybe it's a prescription. It wears off after eight hours of work and you got to spend more time with the Lord. But if you give your time to Jesus, he will take your worries. He will take your burdens. He will give you rest. And that's, that's why he wants us to spend time with him. But that's exactly what these guys were doing. They knew what real ministry was. They knew they didn't have to go out and do anything as their primary focus, but just to spend time with God and seek Him. And you know, uh, to be kind of candid, is that I know when I've been successful at teaching, and it's not really when someone takes notes, even though I love that. It's not when someone says, that was a good message, and they share with me what they got out of the message, what the Lord spoke to them. 
I think that's fantastic. But you know, God can speak out of a donkey. What, what lets me know that I've been quote-unquote successful in ministry is when I've done it unto the Lord and when I've spent time with the Lord later on and the Lord says, hey, good job, or eh, you probably weren't so right there, you know, when God really assures me that I've been correct. Because there's been times when I think I did a great job and I go away and spend two minutes with the Lord. I'm like, man, that was all the wrong thing. And there's other times when I think I do horribly and it's like crickets. And I go away and God goes, that was good. You know, it's like, that's when I know when I've done it unto the Lord and not to other people. And, um, and if it pleases him, that's, that's all that matters at the end of the day. Um, um, not that I won't, you know, wouldn't want to get better or, or, you know, things of that nature, but really um, that's what's most important. But it says that they fasted here as well. And that's really the best way to hear from God on anything is to pray and to fast and spend time with them. And it doesn't have to be 40 days and 40 nights and go see your doctor and get a saline solution IV or something. I don't know. But really, when we're seeking God, it helps to not only shut out our life, as the Bible says, close our door in our prayer closet and spend time with them and shut out the outside world. But sometimes we need, even need to shut out our inside world. You know, your body's crying out, feed me, I'm hungry, feed me. You know, I was fixing... Uh, door locks in Ashley's car yesterday and I broke a drill bit and then I finally said oh I can go eat now feed me feed me so I went and I got lunch and I got new drill bits came back and finished fixing it um, but I listened to my flesh I went and got Burger King you know Ashley would have could have made me a nice lunch and I was like no I want Burger King today you know like I don't normally eat that but it was that sort of thing and when it comes to prayer and fasting sometimes we're going through life and we have these troubles in life and our flesh is crying out take out that loan <laughs> get that new job, date that person, don't do this, do this, get me Burger King, and you go, okay, and even though you're praying on the way to Burger King, Lord, thank you for this food, bless my body, may it not preserve me, <laughs> with all the, pres- you know, all the preservatives in it, whatever you want to say, but, um, you know, uh, turn this carrot cake into carrots, Lord, sort of thing, but, <laughs> but sometimes we need to turn off our flesh, sometimes we need to say, God, uh, man, I'm just going to skip lunch today, or I'm not going to have my morning coffee today. Oh, don't tell that to my wife. She loves her morning coffee and I make sure she has it, but <laughs> I need my caffeine too. That's a joke. She'll listen to this later. So that's okay. Um, I just can't go home now, but, um, really we need to turn off our flesh. Sometimes we need to, just like we turn off the TV, we need to say no to our flesh and listen for God and those things. Uh, but what are, what are these, um, instructions here? The Holy Spirit says, and again, the Holy Spirit says it. He's not a, he's not a force. He's not a feeling, and he's not a farce. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's real. He talks. He's, he's here. And if you're a believer, he lives inside you. You know, just like those horror movies about possession, you are possessed by the living God. And that little voice inside, sometimes it's your conscience, sometimes it's your flesh. But sometimes, and I think a lot of times, it's the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he says here, uh, he instructs them, he says, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Um, and, you know, now, now is the time. It's important. He says, separate to me Barnabas and Saul. He doesn't say, send Barnabas and Saul, get him a first-class ticket or a coach ticket or a Greyhound bus to the Florida and have them minister down there. He says, separate them unto me. You know, you guys are doing a good thing here. You're ministering here. But I need them somewhere else. I want them somewhere else. I want them with me as we go somewhere else. Um, and it was under God, you know, not a timeout, not go do something for God, but separate to him himself. 
Um, you know, this word means to mark off from others by boundaries, to limit, to separate. Uh, if it's used in a bad sense, it means to exclude as disreputable, like keep that away from me. But in a good sense, it means to appoint, to set apart for some purpose. And when God begins to separate you in your life, it's always for a purpose. Like we talked about Joseph. He was separated from his brothers in a pit. He was separated from his family, his hometown, by being sold into slavery. That's God beginning to separate Joseph. So sometimes that separation in our life isn't a fun thing, isn't a good thing. But know that if God is beginning to separate you from things, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a job, whether it's family, or even ministry in a certain sense, he's separating you with a purpose, whether it's to make you holy, which is probably always part of it, but maybe he's got something better for you. In fact, I know he always has something better for us. Um, you know, I think of marriage. We separate ourselves from uh, wanting to or being with anyone else to be with our spouse. Um, I think of uh, sometimes in the morning, I'll bring me with me in the, to the store to get something, to get fruit or something for church. Uh, and I separate her from her toys and uh, her brother and her mom. Say, hey, me, you want to come to the store with me? Let's go. Let's go do something together. And it's not that I need the help at the store. It's not that I want her to experience the store per se, but I want her to be with me and have some, some alone time with me. I think also I used to mow the lawn with my dad the few times I mowed the lawn in my life. And it wasn't a real lawnmower. It was a plastic lawnmower. I was a little toddler running around with my dad. It's the same thing. You know, God doesn't need us to do anything necessarily, but he wants us to be with him and be involved with him. But it says they got this word from God and then they fasted and prayed. And I think that they continued this pattern of fasting and prayer, partly just to make sure, that, because they were doing it, but because I think maybe to make sure for confirmation that, hey, yeah, this is, this is a big deal, separating Barnabas and Saul. These are important guys, so to speak. We're not just going to like kick them out because we had bad pizza last night. We want to fast and make sure that things are going well. But I think... Um, they may never have heard the word of God speaking if they weren't fasting. Or maybe they would have heard it, but it would have taken them longer to obey. Or maybe they weren't even looking for a word from God. They were just fasting and praying and spending time with God, and God begins to, boop, drop this word in their lives. Um, and I think that that maybe highlights the importance of waiting on God in big decisions. That when it comes to a big decision, we shouldn't rush into it. You know, like, we had been uh, praying about getting a car and taking out a loan for a car for a while, and it just never seemed right. You know, I know we have this need, but it just never seemed right. And, you know, I've probably shared it before, but the night that I was at the dealership looking at the minivan that we were going to take out a loan to get, and God would have provided, and we, you know, theoretically could have afforded it and it would have been fine. I just didn't really like the idea of a minivan, even though, you know, and paying for it for that long, really? Okay. Um, and I'm there, and I get a text that, you know, about this other car that's available. And I was like, okay, I'll buy it. It's cheaper. And then God works it out to where we don't, we don't pay, like, a cent on it. We end up paying for, like, the DMV charge. And it's like, wow, God, like, if I had been in such a rush, I'd be in debt now. And not that there's anything wrong with that. And not that I won't take out a car loan for another car for me in a year or whatever it is for my car. But what I'm saying is that God had another plan for us and a plan to be kind of free of another car loan at this time when we don't really want to take one on, when we're considering a lot of different options at this moment. And I think that, man, if we didn't wait on the God on that, you know, I would have had a Honda S2000 and a, you know, an Acura or whatever. You know, I would have gotten into all this debt for no reason. And, and God has a different, different way. But I think also that there's an importance in just ministering to God and just ministering to God, spending that time with him because sometimes we seek God just because we have a big decision to make. Do I move? Do I work? Do I do this? Do I do that? I think sometimes when we just spend time with God, he'll begin to drop things in, in our lives like this. Like, hey, I want you to be involved in this. 
I never thought about doing children's ministry or, hey, I want you to go on a mission trip. I never thought about going on a mission trip, you know, um, that we seek him all the time because he has these plans and these purposes for us. Um, you know, and it's not the idea of when someone offers you a nickel's worth of free advice you weren't asking for, you know, you know, that type when you get a whole bunch of advice and you're like, I don't, I wasn't asking for anything, <laughs> you know, not this unwanted advice. But I think sometimes when God does give us direction, sometimes we treat it that way. And it's unwanted direction. No, God, I got this figured out. And God's saying that, yeah, I've got something better for you. But we see here that they prayed, they waited on God, the Holy Spirit ministered to them and gave them a direction and said specifically, separate these guys unto me. And they laid hands on them and they prayed for them and they sent them away. And I think that it's awesome they did that in a right way. You know, there's a right way and a wrong way to send people out. That when we, uh, as it comes up, you know, that man, when, when God, if God were to lay on one of your hearts to go somewhere else and be a part of something else, that's fantastic. We'll pray for you and send you off to go do your thing and not be like, all right, well, don't come back and we're not going to pray for you. Like, what is that? That's, that's not in the Bible. You know, unfortunately, I've been around um, some bad examples of that, but I've also been around a lot of really good examples of that and what a blessing. Uh, it always is because then you hear about what's going on. And you're like, yeah, that's fantastic. And people come back and share. Um, and we'll try and get through verse 12 uh, uh, as we uh, go on here. I don't want to cut it too short today. But let's pick it up in verse 4. So these guys uh, we see here, they're being sent out by the Holy Spirit. And they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John for their assistant. That's John Mark. Now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, uh, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man uh, called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Uh, excuse me. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord." We see here that they were so being sent out by the Holy Spirit. You know, here we go. Here's, here's where the first missionary journey happens in Paul's famous missionary journeys come to a start is, is how. The Holy Spirit calls them and says, separate unto me them. And this is when they begin to go out. Um, you know, I think at the time uh, between I left my last job and when I got this job, and I normally wouldn't do that, but I just felt like that was the, the right timing for the Lord to do this. And I was without a job for two months. And yeah, it was kind of scary. But on the other hand, it was like, all right, what am I going to do today? I'm going to go to Maryland today, and I'm going to spend time with these people today. I'm going to go here. I'm going to be involved in this and that. It was, it was very freeing in a way. And I think that that's kind of what it is here, that they were called, they were sent out, they were set apart, where they can begin to go out and specifically 100% uh, serve God and follow him. Um, you know, there would be three missionary journeys, and then Paul wins a free trip to Rome at the end of it all. So um, I don't know if he went on the Wheel of Fortune or not. Uh, but we'll see. Uh, the missionaries, you know, Jesus sent out several times to go into all the world. But I think this is also sort of their life-defining characteristic 
Um, you know, I always kind of chuckle at a five-year plan. Someone asked me what my five-year plan was several times on job, job interviews. So I go, I don't know, what do you want me to say, working here? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? Not that there's anything wrong with planning and purposing and, and you know, things like formal can and everything. But what I'm saying is, man, that our lives will be defined by, well, what is God going to do in our life? And, and yeah, maybe I'll be doing that in five years, but that's not my, my diehard plan. You know, God has kind of a freedom to do, do that. And not that they were personally defined by the call. You know, a lot of people, especially in ministry, find their personal definition in their calling. Well, I'm pastor so-and-so. I'm worship leader so-and-so. My life is all about the children's ministry. And, and not that there's anything wrong with being those things, but man, that's not where your life comes from. That's not where my life comes from. If, you know, the moment I start getting caught up and thinking, eh, you know, it's over. It's over. Uh, and that's very dangerous, and that happens, especially when you serve God, that whole Martha mentality. You know, it's serving, 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 and you forget who you're serving and why you're serving and how to serve. But it's really more that their life direction was defined by the call, that they were set apart, and their direction in life was now, yeah, we're going to go follow God. We're going to go where he wants us to go, and we're not really giving a thought to it otherwise. And that being said, you know, that's, that's, that's being holy. Being holy means to be set apart to be separated. And this was part of sanctification and holiness in their life. But you know, you really can't fake the call of God on your life. You can certainly fake his work for a season. There certainly can be a season in life where you do the things of God and it looks like you're doing the right thing, but it's, there's something wrong. You know, I think of pastors, you know, I was reading last night who for years their ministry looks like it's doing really well and God is using it and even speaking through them but inside their lives are rotted away. They, who they've lost is rotted away like David. And not that God can't restore them in their relationship with the Lord. You know, I don't think he'll ever be able to use them in the same capacity. But man, it's, it's sobering for me to think. And man, it's so easy to get off track. These guys get off track so easy. But you can fake it for a season. I mean, I don't know how you get up and teach with such egregious sin in your life. You know, yeah, there's sin in my life, but it's stuff that I hope to deal with, but nothing of that nature. Um, you know, you can fake a title. You know, you go online and get a ministry certificate. You know, the, I, I fear ever losing the pastoral certificate I have. I have like 10 copies of it. No one will ever believe I'm a pastor without that thing. But even then, it's like, well, what if we have a house fire? <laughs> you know, am I going to go around and get them to sign it again? You know, how does that work? Uh, you can fake that. But really, you can't fake the call of God. It's evident when there's a call of God on your life. And over time, that'll be evident. Um, you think of Jonah. There was a call of God on his life, and he couldn't ignore it. Even when he went the other way, the call of God was still there, and that's why he got into all that trouble. You know, whether we obey or not, the direction of our life is still defined by that call of God in us. And I think that even the call of salvation is to everybody. And as we begin to turn from it, the harder we turn from it, a lot of times the worse things get for us. Uh, but they sailed to Cyprus, and that's an island. Um, you know, we're not told why they went to Cyprus first. Um, the commentary says, obviously it doesn't say that, but we knew that Barnabas grew up on that island. It says in Acts 4.36 that, man, Holy Spirit necessarily doesn't didn't say here, at least in the scripture, go to Cyprus. Maybe that's something they prayed about, but this is where they went first. They went back to Barnabas's hometown and to go from there, um, you know. They preached in the synagogues. There was this custom where people who were learned or had a word could come in and share at the synagogue, and this was an open door for them. They, they kept doing what they were doing. Um, God is going to call you to do something in your life, and as you begin to doing it, as you begin to do it, he's going to eventually call you to do that same thing elsewhere, and then elsewhere, and elsewhere. You know, it's going to open up these opportunities for you. Uh, it's this open door policy here. But John Mark, his name means Jehovah is a gracious giver. Uh, Mark means a defense. 
You know, and I think that we really need to let God's grace be our defense when we go out and we begin to serve God. That man, the reason why I'm here, God's grace. The reason why you're here, God's grace. The reason why you're there, God's grace. Again, like we talked about in the beginning, that it's not anything of ourselves. But they go from the, to the city in Paphros, the, south, uh, the southwestern tip. So they start at the eastern city of Cyprus, that island in the Mediterranean. Uh, if you look on the map, you have Israel and you have this little island in Turkey. They get all the way across the island, and this is when uh, they bump into these guys. Uh, but the city was known for its immorality. Uh, it's infamous for its worship of Venus, the goddess of sexual love. Um, you know, we, again, we see this combination here of sexual perversity but, and immorality, but also spiritual darkness. These things go hand in hand. Again, look at our society. Look at how ingrained these two things are in our society. But we see that this guy, again, a certain sorcerer, he was a false prophet. False prophet. And Israel has seen a lot of those in their history. But his name is Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus. And that really means son of Jesus. Um, uh, you know, Bar means son. But Elimus or uh, Elimus is his Arabic name, Arabic name, excuse me, I'm in trouble pronouncing everything today. But uh, it just means a wise man, a wise man. Even his name sort of hinted at a false prophet, that he's the son of Jesus and he's a wise man. And I don't know if, if, if he was technically going around calling himself, I'm the son of Jesus of Nazareth. You know, Jesus was uh, sort of a name like Joshua, um, it's Yeshua, it was similar, you know, there's this whole thing there. Um, there was even another guy named Jesus who they called Justice, one of the disciples. Um, but maybe he was claiming to be Jesus' son. Maybe he was letting his name and his name get him some notoriety as, as a false prophet. Um, you know, people claim all sorts of weird things about Jesus, um, especially romantic. And Jesus had a wife and kids and all these other things, and it's just bogus. It's just bogus. Uh, maybe it was just a, a misnomer for this guy. But again, a lot of people claim the name of Jesus today, but in reality, they have absolutely nothing to do with him. They have nothing to do with him, and that's very dangerous. We can't just trust somebody because they say Jesus when they talk. Uh, we really need to see and test what's going on with them. But we see the proconsul. He was a Roman official. He was a very smart guy, but he wanted to know about God. And I think that that's an awesome witness. As they cross this island, the Roman delegate there, he's a smart guy, and he sees something going on, and he wants to know more. Um, but we see that the sorcerer, obviously he probably had, maybe he knew who uh, the proconsul was. Maybe he had a relationship with him. Maybe, you know, the proconsul gave him a place to use for his sorcery acts. I don't know. But he did not want this guy to come to the Lord. I think it's funny how the enemy works in people's lives, that as they see the work of God going, they automatically know it's a threat to their way of life because their way of life is wicked. Um, it's loud opposition. Loud opposition. We see that all over today, that, man... We're Christians. We have beliefs. We, we express them. We share them. We, we tell the truth from time to time, and we, uh, we oppose things that are evil. But man, the difference between us opposing something wicked and the wicked opposing something good, I think, is way different. I don't, I don't see any of you going around suing anyone for teaching evolution in the school, but guaranteed you'd be, trying, you'd be sued out the wazoo if you try to teach creation in a school by some group. I mean, it's like the opposition is so loud and so harsh uh, to the things that are good. Um, and, and, and our behavior should never be that way. Yeah, we need to stand up for what's right. We need to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. We need to do the right thing and be salt and light. But let us never be about that in, in, a, in a wrong way. Um, but we see that Saul is called Paul here. You know, it's common in that day to have names that were very similar. Uh, you know, Paul was, uh, Saul was a Jewish uh, 
Jewish guy, but he was a Roman citizen. Um, you know, the Roman name Paul was very similar to the Jewish name Saul. Um, I think of a friend I had uh, in high school, a good friend. Uh, his parents were uh, from Korea, uh, South Korea, and they moved over, I guess, in the 60s or 70s. But uh, his name was, uh, I'm not going to tell his whole name, but Peter and his middle name was Jason. But they only called his middle name Jason because it was very much like his Korean name. Of, I wouldn't even say it right, but it's like Chesong or, or something similar to that. Um, but that's why they called his middle name Jason on his birth certificate. It was similar to the Korean name that they gave him. And that's the idea here is that Saul was Saul to the Hebrews, but maybe growing up his name was Paul. Maybe he took this name on in uh, Roman society because it was very similar. and It was a name that uh, would work uh, in uh, Latin. But he was a Roman citizen. But we see here that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this reminds me of Peter in those earlier chapters. Um, and he calls this guy the son of the devil. And I think that that's inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because this guy's calling himself the son of Jesus, bar Jesus. And he says, son of the devil. Um, uh, you know, perhaps it was the deliberate uses of Jesus' name here again. But these are strong words. And he calls him the enemy of all righteousness, perverting the straight ways of the Lord. That's harsh. That's harsh, but it's true. You know, he was this Jewish man who was perverting the ways of God. And again, there's a lot of examples of these in the, in the Old Testament. I think that the danger here is that when we're so close to God, maybe it's ethnically or culturally, um, so to speak, but we don't know him, there's a lot of horrific outcomes. It's like these guys, like we're talking about uh, leadership, who are very close to God about the works of God, but inside they're very far from God. They've, they've turned away from God. A horrific outcome is, is always to happen. And it's, it's interesting here that Paul, as we come to a close, that Paul was blinded by God uh, at one point in his life when he got saved. But now under God's inspiration, he pronounces blindness on this man, on this sorcerer. And I think that, man, isn't, doesn't that sound kind of harsh? Couldn't he have just shared the gospel with this guy? But really, this man, Elymas, was, um, was already too far gone in a sense. That God had to bring that upon him. And I think of guys like Pharaoh or even Death Row that... Yeah, murder is bad, but sometimes, man, you kill someone, you're a serial killer, it's, it's really time. You know, you've come to know Jesus, that's good, but you still need to go to death row because you've killed someone, you've murdered someone, and there needs to be a consequence for that. And that's the same thing here. This guy was spiritually blind, he was blinding other people, he was perverted, and God said, I have to bring this harsh consequence in your life. And, and we don't know what happens to him. We don't know if, if we know that the, it's just for a season, it says, but we don't know if this guy gets saved or not. We know that this was, happened to him, that the proconsul might get saved. But man, there's people out there that there just needs to be hard consequences in their lives to get their attention. It took hard consequences in my life to get my attention. If God was never hard with me, I may never have turned. You know, it's in that hardness that I found his grace. And, it, and again, just like that judgment before, it wasn't that God was beating me with a bat. It was he was just letting my decisions take their toll on my life. You know, but what's great about this proconsul, this intelligent man, is that he's intelligent, but he sees that there's something real here. And he wasn't just this blind unbelief and turning off his intelligence, but he saw that there was a reality to the scriptures. And when this distraction was taken away, this perverse false prophet was taken out of his path, he came to faith. He came to faith. You know, for homework, read Luke chapter 8, 4 through 15 about the sowers. I'm sure you guys all know it. Uh, the parable of the sower and the seed going out, but I think it's, it's interesting in, in relation here. You know, but that, that God really needs to get rid of these opposition, these stones, these thorns in our life sometimes, sometimes drastically, for us to come to believe Him. 
Sometimes it takes a hard situation in our life for us to turn to faith to God. Sometimes God has to remove our friends. Sometimes God has to remove a relationship for us to turn to him. I know that that's what it took in my life. Um, you know, Hebrews 3, 7 through 13, I won't read the whole thing, but it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the day of the rebellion. Um, but exhort one another daily, as is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That, man, when we hear God's voice, when the Holy Spirit is ministering to us and giving us direction and comfort, that, man, we would listen to it and not turn away from it. You know, we, we need to be careful to make Jesus the one we're living for. And that's what the poor consul did. He was interested, he saw, and he went after it. And this other guy, Elemis, well, he didn't. He, he violently opposed it. And it's because of the sin in his life. And I guarantee that in our lives, when we are not listening to God, it's because we're listening to our flesh. We're listening to another influence in our life that may not even be an ungodly influence, but if it's not what God has directed for us, um, uh, it's not the best thing for us, you know, and that's what God wants for us. God wants our best life now, but that's not the same as Joel Osteen says it. It's our best life now and that I've got something better for you. I've got a missionary trip for you guys to go on, Saul, Barn Saul and Barnabas. I've got people for you to be interacted with that are different. And the first part of us becoming separate is being saved. And when we get saved, we're separated from the world. But know that God has a plan for uh, all of us to be separate. That doesn't mean when you're at work you don't talk to anyone, but it means that your life is different. And even more than that, the whole scope of your life, the people you grew up with, like we talked about, even the people in your family, that it's separate, it's different. Because why? Because we're going to heaven. Because we're going with Jesus. Jesus is still here. He's the Holy Spirit of God is here. And he's in us. And, and just like Jesus walked the earth, just like Jesus went different places, when we're with, walking with God, we're going to go those places as well. We're going to begin to go places we never thought we would go. We begin to talk to people we never thought we would talk to. Things begin to come out of our mouths that we never thought would come out of our mouths because God is working in us and to us. But that's not going to happen if we hang on to the things that we want, if we hang on to the things that God is telling us uh, to be separated from. And again, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be a good thing. Uh, but I know, you know, even in just the, the few short months that I've been down here, as hard as that's been in different ways, Man, I'm glad. I'm glad that I can drive down the highway, even though sometimes I'd rather be in the woods and not be on a really nice, fancy highway paying a toll to go to work. I go, I know that I'm here because God has got me here. And that's what matters at the end of the day. And sometimes I have to remind myself of that. Sometimes, to be honest with you, sometimes it's like, oh man, I miss having all my friends around. I mean, you guys are great and everything, but it's like, you know what it's like. I mean, you move around and you know what it's like. Um, but man, I know that, that God has me here. I know it's for good. I'm loving the new relationships we're making. Um, but I know that if, if we don't separate ourselves when he asks us to, that uh, we only miss out on the best things. Amen. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word and that it's true. And God, we thank you for the call to be separate. And God, we thank you that, uh, God, you separated yourself from your father. And uh, Father, you separated your son from your son for a, a season that, God, we might come to know you. God, help us to minister to you in that, to spend time with you in that, and, and find our shelter in you. God, we pray that you would just fill us with your spirit, that, God, you would separate us from where we need to be separated us and send us out where we need to go, that we would just, God, our lives would be ministering to you for your glory, God. Bless this day, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.